And if you hear that sound, you know what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about money uh, here on the Practice Impossible podcast with your host, Coach JPMD. And uh, today we're here with Shane Donaldson, who is the CEO of Pinnacle Healthcare. And he's going to tell us about himself and uh, how home healthcare agencies, DMEs and physical therapy and uh, just ancillary services um, affect the payment tree. If you haven't had a chance to download the uh, Money Tree uh, Payment Tree Diagram, do so at uh, www.coachjpmd.com and you can slash Money Tree. So that's www.coachjpmd.com slash Money Tree and uh, you'll kind of see where we are. So Shane, tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and how you became to be the CEO at uh, Pinnacle. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you this afternoon. I'm actually, I was born in New Zealand uh, in a town called Christchurch. I uh, lived there for about seven years and then find, found my way to Australia when my father got relocated uh, there. And I used to live in a very remote location. To put it into context, a thousand miles from the nearest city. But I eventually made my way to the big city and uh, studied physical therapy and earned my physical therapy degree in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I made my way here in 1995 because there was a huge recruitment drive due to the lack of physical therapists in the United States at that point in time. And so I landed in uh, sunny Florida in St. Petersburg. Uh, the company that I worked for did some subcontracting work to the HCA hospitals. And so I found my way into the hospital system in that way in the Tampa Bay area. Worked in the hospital system, skilled nursing facilities, etc. And then I actually left for a few years and had the good fortune of working in Australia, New Zealand and England before coming back here, finally landing and stopped being a nomad in about 2001. Okay. And what, what kind of introduced me to home care was the fact that in the other countries that I'd worked in, none of them had home care. England was just starting to lift it off the ground in 2001. And I thought, this is a great place to work because I can provide one-on-one care, unlike, for example, in a skilled nursing facility or outpatients where how many patients can you see in a, in a given hour? So I really liked the, the quality approach to home care. And so I started up a small independent contracting therapy company in 2002. We subcontracted our services to some national home care agencies here in the Tampa Bay area. And then subsequent to that, I had this feeling that we could do it a little better. So I boldly kind of stepped out and started the first home care agency in 2003 in the Tampa Bay area. Since then, we have expanded to 12 agencies, but with 16 locations throughout the state of Florida. The only two areas that don't provide services in is Miami-Dade and then up in the Panhandle and the Tallahassee and the Pensacola market. Hmm. And that's really kind of that we have, to put it into context, we service about 7,500 patients on census at any given time. We admit about 200 patients a day, and we're probably discharging a similar amount at the same time. So just to give you context of the size of our organization and kind of where we provide services. And as a, as a skilled home care agency, I think it's important to differentiate the services that we provide. Skilled means that we're providing intermittent care in a person's place of residence, and we provide nursing, PT, occupational therapy, speech therapy, medical social services, and also home health aid services, but not the kind of home health aid services where, you know, someone would sit with your grandmother for long periods of time. It's really for (laughs) personal care where someone would come in, 
and provide a shower visit or something like that safely after a person's, you know, coming back from a, an injury or hospitalization. So, so you're describing a fairly large reach uh, in Florida. Are you just in Florida or do you have a, a nationwide presence? No, just in Florida mo- at the moment. Certainly anticipate that within the next 18 months, we'll start to migrate out into the adjacent states. Oh, that's impressive. I'm kind of embarrassed, I guess, because we've been on, we've been sitting on the board for our condominium association for a couple of years now. Uh, we both own, I guess, the buildings that we practice out of. And so you're running this statewide agency out of that location in Spring Hill? No, our, so our home office, our corporate office is actually located in Oldsmar, Florida, which is midway between Clearwater and Tampa. Okay. So that's where we have all of our centralized teams. And then the 12 locations, one of which is in, in your building complex, that's our Spring Hill location. Interestingly enough, it is our largest volume location across Florida in wow. little old Spring Hill. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so so I think that speaks to to the managed care population. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because, you know, in the Money Tree series, we're, we're trying to help physicians understand the business of medicine and how to increase their revenues, decrease stress. And, you know, I think one of the things that helps obviously decrease or increase revenue is by keeping patients out of the hospital. So can you explain your your goal of therapy, your goal of um, skilled nursing, uh, not skilled nursing, but uh, home therapy that can help physicians uh, decrease their expenses and, and subsequently increase their revenue? Yeah, great question. And there are, there are so many nuances to that. I think that, you know, just like everybody else that is paid directly or indirectly with Medicare funding, you know, it's the, the, the triple aim, isn't it? Which is, you know, to provide great quality outcomes, you know, to make sure that we're doing it in a cost-effective way and that, you know, patients ultimately are satisfied with the services that they provide. The, you know, interestingly, every home care agency that is managed under Medicare, quote unquote, Medicare has an obligation from the moment they receive a referral to admit that patient in 48 hours. One of the key things that a home care agency can do for any physician um, to help them save money is to make sure the patients aren't rehospitalized. We mm-hmm. know that the statistics that if we don't get out there really quickly, patients go back into hospitals or ER for two primary reasons. Number one is medication mismanagement or reconciliation. The second one is just the anxiety from coming out of hospital and really not knowing what to do. And so our organization prides itself that 90% of all of our patients are admitted to our services within 24 hours. So we hold ourselves to a higher standard. And then, you know, beyond that, it's making sure that we do a a comprehensive assessment to ensure that all of the necessary disciplines are provided, but those that aren't necessary aren't, and that we do our very, very best to keep patients out of hospital. And we use various mechanisms, including some technologies, to augment our services so that we're not always going in and a health insurance or a physician is incurring the expense of a visit. We use telehealth platforms and other platforms to send and communicate with with patients in order to engage them to ensure that, look, if they are starting to have a decline or they have any concerns, that rather than pick up the phone and call for an ambulance service, that they're calling us first and so that we can then intervene and either go out and see the patient or communicate with the physician to come up with other solutions to prevent those hospitalizations. Yeah, so you're describing a pretty complex operation to, to be able to do all of that. 
And I'll be honest, I'm not, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on that podcast is because there's some things I don't understand about um, home health care and home health care payments. So we know that, you know, there's a fee for service component of it, but how does Pinnacle make money if you're adding all of these additional services, you're, you're using resources for phone calls, making sure patients call you first. I know that there was a push for prospective payments and, and capitated payments. How is Pinnacle making money to be able to do all these things? Yes, yeah, sure. So to give context, about 60% of all of the revenue that Pinnacle receives is by virtue of treating traditional Medicare fee-for-service patients. And then the second bundle is Medicare Advantage. And I know that that's kind of the area that we want to spend our time on. Sure. For, for the traditional patients, then we get paid episodically, which is every 30 days of providing care, we obviously the patient will have maybe a, a case mix or a diagnosis that they are primarily being treated for. And Medicare says, this is the bundle of money that you're going to be paid irrespective of how many resources, i.e. how many patient visits and calls that you place to the patient. Now, if you contrast that with the managed care environment, and this is an interesting conversation because if you were to ask a home care agency, what are the two primary, we'll call them challenges, if not threats to home care, they would, they would say there are two things. One is capacity because there are too many patients and not enough uh, home care agencies to meet that need by and large. And the second one actually is a misalignment of payment with managed care organizations. So it, it's a great conversation for us to be having. And what I mean by that is the misalignment is that at this point, the vast majority of Medicare Advantage insurances pay us per visit. Okay. And so the home care agency is paid on a volume and not on a value. Mm-hmm. And we are currently moving into an environment where the value base for home care agencies is starting to gain traction, but it's not, not there yet. So every time a home care agency goes out, the insurance is obviously billed for that visit. And then that gets, you know, kind of passed on and it, and it impacts physicians that are set up in a Medicare Advantage environment. We have just negotiated our first contract with Wellcare, and in, in fact, it goes into effect tomorrow, coincidentally, where it is, it is bundled, but there is also an upside opportunity based on reducing hospitalization. So Wellcare has seen it in their wisdom. They understand that the, the area that a home care agency could help with is preventing rehospitalization yep. and the subsequent expense. So if we drive down those rehospitalizations and we have an upside opportunity to share, in some of the the um, control of expenses for that particular patient, and I do believe, Doctor Pierre, that you know we're in the formative stages of kind of taking that process and putting into the hands of of other insurance Medicare Advantage uh, programs, because once we align on cost containment and it's not a volume based method of payment, then we I think we're we're working in far better alignment because ultimately it's all about how can we do this in a cost-effective way? And unfortunately, not all of the drivers are aligned between all of the, the, the people in the system. Yeah, and I think it's because the system has been driving it to be a more of a fee-for-service system where 
providers, uh, specialists, even PCPs who are not in managed care or val- fee for value or value based care is just that they don't they don't see it. But it sounds like you see it. And obviously, you see it because you're contracting with Wellcare to do that. And that will help us on our wellcare contract side. But how do you get to the point? Like, what is the number? What what do you look for in that metrics that allows you to to get that upside? Because there's also a downside. If you're if you're going to contract with wellcare, is that going to be an exclusive contract? Or are you going to not be able to take any other insurances? Or and if you do, how do you manage all of those contracts? Yes. Yeah, so th- there is no there is a group of providers that are going to be providing this. That we're going to be lifting this concept off the ground now. In the in the initial phase, and we will probably get to an equal upside and downside opportunity. Uh-huh. But there is only upside, and it's based on the data set that has been collected on rehospitalizations for all wellcare patients historically over the last twelve months in the state of Florida uh-huh. by the current providers. And let's just say that there is half a dozen providers, and then so now we've been set metrics to drive down those rehospitalizations. And when we do, then there is an upside of up to 6% of an increase in the payment that we would normally receive gotcha. by, you know, in a regular fee-for-service kind of scenario. So there are multiple, uh, multiple players in this, in this contract, in this metrics. Is there, so you may not be, you're not going to be the only home healthcare company, but you'll be one of them, one of the six or eight that they have in the, in the state to look at that incentive or... Get that incentive. Yes, that th- that is true. But there is an additional algorithm in this scenario, and that is that the list of providers, and let's just call it half a dozen for for argument's sake, is stratified based on their historical performance. Mm-hmm. And that historical performance is based on number one: do you accept patients and start them quickly? Because they know that that is a, a really good way to drive down rehospitalizations and the overall expense. In addition to that, what is your rehospitalization rate? How you know, and all of these things go into stratifying the providers, such that when a patient has a referral for home care, those that have been performing at the highest level will have the first opportunity to accept that patient. Mm-hmm. If that provider cannot, then it will go to the next layer of performance in terms of the providers, and they will have an opportunity. So it's almost like if, as long as we keep our metrics that are important to, in this case, Wellcare as the insurance company at the top, then we get the first opportunity to accept those patients throughout the state, and then it goes further on down to some of the other providers. Hmm. That's interesting. So uh, you know, I have to say that this conversation so far has been such a – an enlightening conversation. And I think it's even more, it's even at a higher level conversation than most of our uh, younger physicians might uh, be aware of. But I think what I take away from this is that if you are a provider that is providing good care, let's say a primary care provider that does their HEDA scores up, their mammograms, they're encouraging their patients to get mammograms, stool tests, you know, and all their preventative care, then that will in turn have the insurance companies want to partner with that PCP to send them more patients. So it's very similar to what I'm hearing you describe. Because you've been doing well, because the metrics have been good, they're incentivizing you to, to continue to, to make more money. Is that, is that a, yeah, a fair statement? I, I, think that that, I think that's an ideal correlation. I would, and the only thing that I would say is that in home care, I, I think that we've been late 
to get yeah. to the situation that you just described, yeah. and we're only just getting there now. Yeah, so I think that's that's an opportunity. That's an op- obviously an opportunity for for our audience to understand where where the industry is going because we're moving towards a value based care model, and we just have to understand the business so that we don't get stressed out and and we can maintain the revenues, especially in in an environment where you know revenues are coming down, inflation is going up. How are you getting the labor force to be able to to do the things that you you're describing here? Are you mostly 1099 nurses? Are you do you have employed staff? How does that work for you? Uh, yes. So the regulations for a home care agency are such that a home care agency must provide one of its disciplines purely as W two employees, and the vast majority of home care agencies, clinical included, choose nursing. So to put into context, we have about 1,300 staff that are W-2 employees, about 850 to 900 of those are clinicians. And then we have, and so all of our nurses are W-2, most of our therapists are W-2, and our medical social services and home health aides are all all W-2 employees as well. We augment on the therapy side just because it's an interesting nuance to home care. It's just the way that it's evolved over decades that therapists have a tendency to do a fair amount of contracting work. But still, well north of 50% of our therapy side is also done by W-2s. We just augment it in areas by 1099 contract therapists. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of our staff are all W-2s. Not all of them, of course, are full-time. So we have a PRN population that we call upon as our capacity and needs increase. Okay. Um, in, In terms of staffing, we're fortunate to have a pretty significant team of uh, on the talent acquisition side. So we have 15 full-time individuals because you're touching on all you know all of the key items. The biggest challenge that we have is capacity. And so there are 850 skilled intermittent home care agencies in the state of Florida. We have 12 of them. The way that we look at it is this. It's not that there aren't clinicians out there. It's just that they're working for another employer we need to make sure that we become the employer of, of choice by creating the right circumstances in which an individual, number one, would want to join us and then not want to leave. Yeah, and that's with every, any business. I mean, we struggled for a year uh, right after or during the pandemic to, to hire even just a front office person, and we're still looking for potentially an operator, which we can't find. So, so that's interesting. It's so, an incredibly difficult market. Yeah. So, so let's shift... Shift from labor force to now equipment, because that's something I didn't understand, and I hope you can enlighten me. Durable medical equipment. We did have a series or a a money tree series on durable medical equipment and how payments uh, are affected by that. Do you provide the actual supplies to the members, or do they go to their insurance companies and go to the DME company? How does that work on your side? Yes, by and large, well, we are... We are intricately connected, but we do not provide the durable medical equipment such as walkers and bedside commodes and things of that nature. So what we will do is normally what will happen is if it, let's just say we have a typical patient that's being discharged from hospital, it, it is technically the responsibility of, of the discharge planning system inside that hospital to make arrangements for any DME and home health. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they lean on the home health agency who has the relationships with DME providers to make sure that the patient receives the DME in a timely manner. 
And so the home care agency will often facilitate that by having relationships with many DME companies. And as we well know, DME companies sometimes take certain insurances and don't take others. And so the home care agency usually knows all of the nuances and who to reach out to for the appropriate DME. Yeah. Okay. So, so it doesn't come out of your, your payments. It's just a separate line item for, for the insurance payments. Correct. The only thing that is really bundled in home care outside of the direct services that are provided to the patient is what we call routine medical supplies. And so routine medical supplies would be your t- it's usually the typical wound care supply. Okay. Now, a, a managed care insurance will bundle that into the visit rate, but if there are any specialized dressings, let's say an alginate dressing or some of the complex dressings, that we will directly bill the insurance company and have it drop shipped to the patient, and that's the way they are done. But the vast majority of the normal nursing supplies are included in the payment to the home care agency. Gotcha. Yeah. It's almost like a like a DRG for home health care. Yes. Yes. Which I'm not sure. Is there a certain term for that, or is it just a bundle payment? I would say it's a bundled payment, and I think it's more so a bundled payment when you're getting paid an episode of care, like a 30-day payment, as traditional Medicare does. As I say, really, it's in you know managed care. It's really pay per visit, and each of those visits included the cost of sending the clinician out as well as the nursing supplies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so I've got some provider-centric questions uh, I wanted to ask you as a service provider that, that needs or that works with the physicians directly. What are some examples of really good offices? So if a physician is listening to this episode and they want to partner with you to help decrease their stress and increase their revenue, what would you say is a good office to work with? Yeah. So I'd say a couple of things I think are incredibly important and not just to the home care agency, but that really benefit the physician's office. Number one is responsiveness. Mm-hmm. If we are out, you know, the typical patient goes into distress too many times after hours. It would be nice if they would, you know, if they had all of their challenges between the hours of nine to five where a physician is readily available. But typically it's, you know, it's after hours into the evening, they've come home from hospital or they're having a problem and we might need to deploy a staff member and having the, what we don't want to do is send a patient to the emergency room or and ultimately ending up as a rehospitalization, but we need the guidance and assistance of the physician to help us avoid that. Mm-hmm. So that responsiveness is, is really important. And it might not be the, that particular physician, but maybe they've got somebody that's covering for them, and we just need to know who that is. Because a nurse who's out seeing a patient in distress is going to, be, is going to take the conservative option whenever they can't get someone to make a, a definitive decision in a relatively short period of time because they don't want to take on the responsibility of a patient having an adverse outcome and they should have solved that problem in the patient's home. Another thing would be authorization. Mm-hmm. So typically we will get authorization for a certain number of visits and oftentimes the authorization is not driven by the insurance company. We don't get it through the insurance company. We get it from the primary care physician. If let's say we had authorization just for an evaluation and then we were needing some additional visits, maybe it was wound care or IVs, something that in the absence of the patient would have a detrimental outcome. And if we can't get authorization, then we have a quandary, i.e. we don't want to abandon the patient 
but we can't always assume that the visits are going to be authorized. So it's really important that we have clarity. Now, usually when we have a relationship with a physician, we, we know that they are going to give us authorization for the visit because we've established a good relationship and we work within the confines of, you know, an understanding, knowing full well that the physician will generally say, look, Shane, have your clinician see the patient. We want that to happen and then we'll worry about the authorization after. But at the same time, we have to be responsible with that authorization yeah. because we want everyone needs to contain costs and and it's important that we play our role in that. So that responsiveness to making sure that if we need authorization to go out and see it, that comes back quickly so that we can go in and make sure that the patient doesn't have an adverse response and end up in the hospital is just a critically important one for us. That's great. That's great points. And, and I think uh, it speaks to just communication. So patients want yeah. to communicate with their providers and specialists also want to communicate. And I think that's one of the things that I've been preaching in many episodes, and that is to just um, to have. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you have any familiar, familiarity with it. Uh, it's an organization that is actually based out of uh, Colorado, and they're now in 36 states, including Florida. Huh? And it is, and it, basically it's, it's like going to an urgent care center, but they are mobile. And so I know they've just entered Pasco, having come up from uh, the Tampa Bay area. And they, what's pretty interesting, and I think that they have a place uh, in the continuum, is that for a patient that's perhaps on the verge of going into hospital, they have a turnaround time and they have nurse practitioners that do this. And they have a two-hour turnaround time to get out to a patient's house that doesn't have the capacity to to kind of, you know, travel in and maybe be seen by an, an urgent care facility. So w we are looking to, to partner up, and obviously we're not going to do anything that would incur a physician unnecessary expenses, and we would make sure that we're having conversations with those physicians to say, these are some of the additional things that are available out there in the community that might, be, might cause a small expense but save a large expense. Yeah. So it's aligning with those kinds of resources that are cost-efficient yet provide an adjunct to care that solves for a particular need in healthcare. It's those kinds of organizations, I think, that really are going to play a role in the future in ensuring that we're able to provide that cost-effective care and keep patients out of hospitals. Huh. So you must be reading my notes because that was my next question. Uh, what do you <laughs> see and think is the future of home health care? And you're describing dispatch health, I guess. Is that, is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, yes, so, they call dispatch health. Yeah. So I'm going to link, I'm going to link that uh, in the show notes because I'm going to do some research and, and take a look at that Beautiful. as well. So y you feel like there are going to be ancillary services that can help decrease the urgency or the need for emergency room visits through uh, different service providers. That's one. That's very interesting. Definitely, um, because it's, it, it, it's a similar cost to going to an urgent care center yeah, as yeah. opposed to an ER visit. And so I, I think the future of home care in addition to that is, and consistent with that is, home care agencies are going to be required to treat patients that are more acute. So what we've seen in the last, I would say, five years, and it was certainly enhanced by COVID, was a desire to bypass, in many cases, skilled nursing facility and rehab facility. Mm -hmm. Often driven initially with COVID for the fear that, you know, we go into one of those facilities and end up with COVID. Uh, and so there was certainly evidence of that. 
But as we as we move on and realize that there isn't enough capacity in the in the healthcare system, then more and more patients are moving into home care with higher levels of acuity, and we need to be prepared for those things. And so things like uh, diversion programs away from skilled nursing facilities, or if a patient came out of a skilled nursing facility and they have the capacity when a patient has a further complication to bypass the hospital and go back into the skilled nursing facility at a lower cost. Mm-hmm. The And one of the other things that is going to be very important is to be able to do more with less visits. Again, it's a capacity issue. So yeah. how can we how can we create a great experience with lower costs and make sure that the that the, all of the patients' needs are, are met? Things like you know the telehealth platforms. We have one called Cinzi, where we can program information to be sent to the patient in between our home care visits to reinforce, let's say, a physician's protocol or diagnosis specific information to make sure that the patient is doing what they need to. So as so over time we will see less visits given in the home. Certainly necessary visits will continue to occur, but they will be augmented through the likes of telehealth. Now what's really interesting is that um, payers in home care are not paying for telehealth visits. They allow us to do it, but they're not reimbursing for it. But it's a matter of time, I think, before that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the name of that telehealth service that you use? Uh, it's called Synzi, S-Y-N-Z-I. It's actually an organization based out of St. Petersburg, interestingly, and they have a phenomenal platform that can be used both by physicians and uh, home care agencies where we can have up to six people on a call, on a video call, A let's say a physician, the home care nurse, a family member in New York, and the patient. Mm-hmm. And the patient can be observed through the use of an iPad or an iPhone device, and everyone can collaborate and almost do case conferencing. On complex patients, it's very, very helpful. That's cool. Uh, I'll definitely leave our uh, links to, the, to that in the show notes. So if you're not running a large statewide home healthcare agency and you're having fun, what are you doing these days? Interesting. <laughs> a lot of my fun now revolves around my 12-year-old son. Okay. And, uh, and and through him, I think I'm living my childhood or the childhood that I once really wanted to have, which was, you know, he's, he's into things like, you know, riding quad bikes and jet skis and uh, kind of those outdoory activities. So uh, that's really where I derive my fun, I would say, Dr. Pierre. Yeah, that's cool. I thought you were going to say sports. I thought you were going to say rugby or something. I think they play rugby out there in <laughs> Australia, right? <laughs> Yes, I, I played a little bit way back in the day and also Australian rules football, but there's not really many opportunities for that in the United States. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably <laughs> so. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, So where can we find you? How can we uh, get, get more information on Pinnacle and, and maybe even shoot some uh, healthcare workers to you? Because it sounds like you're going to be expanding in other states as well soon. Yes, absolutely. And I, I believe you have our website at www.pinnaclehomecare.net. Certainly feel free to, to, to pop my email address in, Dr. Pierre, for sure. anyone at Beth Donaldson at pinnaclehomecare.net, just keeping in mind that it's a .net rather than a .com. Yep. And if there are any questions or any follow-ups, I'd be glad to connect with people and, and answer any of those questions. 
Well, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast. And uh, I know that uh, you must be super busy, if not with the Pinnacle Home Care, but also with your 12-year-old. So thank you so <laughs> much for coming on the podcast. And uh, sorry for the technical difficulties initially, but we got through it. And again, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Pierre. Really do appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.